This is page 51 in your books, and it's chapter 5. Um, and actually, this does kind of complete... Oh, I got them right here. Um, this does kind of complete the idea of, of, of God. And so any kind of systematic theology, and that's kind of what this is, takes topics and it goes straight through them. Um, so when you do a Bible study, a lot of times you pick a book of the Bible or a portion of the Bible and you study it, and that's how it works. Well, in theology, you basically have to take that topic and then look at all the things that the Bible says about it. And so we are still kind of on the first, you know, or I guess the second thing, which is God. The first thing was the Bible. Now we're on God, but this is God, the Holy Spirit. And so this is uh, kind of the, the third part, I guess you would say, of uh, that, that statement. And so it's God, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read you what the Baptist Faith and Message says here. It says, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures. Through illumination, he enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. Affects uh, regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through his church. He seals the believer unto the day of final redemption. Uh, his presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. Okay, um, now the memory verse is, is interesting, and I do want to talk about it because I think it's, um, uh, it's, it's relevant, and it's one of those verses that sometimes people don't quite understand. Um, it says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. So... This is not as much a prohibition against drinking, although it, it, it is saying don't get drunk, but it's using drinking as an example. So what happens once you take, take in too much alcohol, whether it be wine or anything else, it begins to affect your ability to control yourself. You lose control to that substance. And, and that is what the Bible is actually telling us to do to the Holy Spirit. Bring in the Holy Spirit into our lives, lose control or give up control of our lives to the Holy Spirit so that he can lead us, so that he can help us in the choices that we make, so that he can teach us, so that he can actually work in our lives to make us like Christ. And so that's what this memory verse is about. That's, that's what it's talking about is that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there are people, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I'll just mention now there are people who teach that you can be more and less filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that Southern Baptists disagree with this is because we believe that the Holy Spirit is a person, just like we believe God is a person, just like we believe Jesus is a person. Um, and I'm a person. Am I all the way here or only partially here? If only part of me was here, I'd be in a really bad mood wherever the rest of me was. So we don't receive part of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit in part. He is a person. When he arrives, he is there. Just like when you arrive somewhere, you are there. 
And so that's the thing that we have to understand. Now, more or less control. So you take, for example, here at church, when I begin speaking, almost everybody else stops speaking. When I'm standing in my classroom, standing in front of students, and I start talking, almost none of them stop talking. They are all there. So I have less control there than I might have here. So that's, that's the kind of the, the thing that we have to understand, is that when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, it, it depends on how much control, how much we give over and offer over to Him. That's how much ministry He can have in our lives, is how much we're willing to give over to Him. Now, the book does mention that many Christians know very little about the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's speaking to a Baptist audience, and I'll tell you why Baptists don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Um, back in the early 1900s and, and on through, like in the uh, 1950s and, and, and big time during that time, there was what was called a charismatic movement. The charismatic movement was, it was Christians, I believe that with all my heart that they were Christians, but they got very um, involved in, in the the excitement. They got very involved in the, um, the visible parts of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it might be the gifts, specifically speaking in tongues, um, but there was also a very, um, very, I guess, involved worship. There was just a whole lot of, of excitement, and charisma was kind of the whole thing. It was involved in that process. Now, here's some of the things that are good about the charismatic movement. Um, people didn't just, you know, sit and frown when they were singing songs about Jesus. They got up and, and they, they celebrated Jesus. Um, they definitely put an emphasis on, you know, taking seriously what God had said and, and what God was doing. Um, they, they wanted to pay attention to be sensitive to uh, God and to the Holy Spirit. Here's some of the things that were bad. Uh, some of the things that were bad was they inflated certain portions of Scripture to be more important than other portions of Scripture. Um, so, for example, in a, in a lot of the charismatic movements, they tell you that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, if, if we were really, really paying attention when we read that statement, according to Baptist doctrine, when you are saved, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit at that particular point. Um, they also talk about a filling or, or a fresh anointing, or they talk about things along those lines and all of those things. So um, anointing, that happens at salvation. Filling, that happens at salvation. Baptism, that happens at salvation. All the things um, that, that a lot of times the charismatic church says, well, you've got, to, you've got to reach this level and then you'll get this. You'll reach this level, you'll get this. Well, all of that, that happens at salvation. And so here's the thing that I think was kind of the problem. So along the same time that you have the charismatic church rising up, you have, uh, you know, generally thinkers and inside and outside the church are moving more towards emotions and experiences than they are realities and, and, and things that are factual, things that you can kind of prove and see. And so what happens is this, this experiential um, experience um, this, this, this emotion-laden experience is, is what the charismatic church is built on, whereas you take like, you know, Baptist, Presbyterian, um, uh, Lutheran, um, 
you know, pretty much all the older Protestant churches, when you have those, they are based on what the Bible actually says, and, and, and your experience can vary, but it's going to have to be rooted in what the Bible actually says and what the church has been teaching always, whereas with the charismatic, it can kind of rise on those, the, on those emotions and on, on those, those sorts of things. Um, and, and so what you have to recognize is that the Bible does tell us what the Holy Spirit does, and the Bible does not hold some ministries of the Holy Spirit back for later or to kind of make you behave a little bit more or anything along those lines. Sadly, a lot of times charismatic churches are also linked with works-based salvation. If you attend church or if you don't attend church or if you do what you're supposed to do or you don't do what you're supposed to do, if you, if you don't submit to this or if you don't do that, then a lot of times you can lose your salvation. And that's something that, that we don't believe, and so, especially as Baptists. We don't believe those things. And so one of the reasons that, that a lot of Baptists don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit is people just didn't talk about it because we didn't ever want to be you know, labeled as a charismatic. We didn't want somebody to say, well, you're a charismatic or you're one of those you know, people swinging off the slant chandeliers and running up and down the pews. I'll tell you, I've seen some things. I don't visit other churches anymore, but back in the day, I have saw some things or seen some things, whatever the grammar is for that. I've seen people run laps around the church. I've seen people prophesy. I've seen people fall out. And I've seen people speak in tongues. And I've even seen what somebody told me was an exorcism. And then I've seen a real demon-possessed person come after me and a group of other people, and it was very different. And, and what I'll tell you is, is that there are things that are for show, that are, that are to kind of create excitement or generate a buzz within the church, and there are things that are real. And, and there's a major difference, and you won't really know it until you've seen it. But when you really see it, you know that there's play acting, and then there's the real thing. And so what I would say is that um, Baptists, we, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot because we don't want to be labeled as, as that. And there is some very important parts about the Holy Spirit that we need to know. Um, and, and we don't have to get worried about how we experience things. There are some people that are more excitable than others. There are some people that are very even keel, and there are some people that are just very excitable. God made us all different, and so we're going to respond to things in a different way. If when I see a, a truth of Scripture that really moves me, and I stop and I quietly begin to pray, maybe that's the way that God wired me to worship. And if you see the same truth, and it hits you the same way, and you jump up and shout, well, maybe God you know, wired you to worship in that way, and that's okay. But what we don't want to do is say that one is right and one is wrong. That's never what we want to do because God has made us differently. God has made us unique. He's made us, you know, with, with a diversity of responses and attitudes and things like that. What we need to understand is that it's the truth that matters, not the way that people respond to it. So let's get into some of the truths. Um, so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, the first thing that the, the Baptist Faith and Message introduces to us is that the Holy Spirit inspired God's Word. And it pretty much quotes um, the, uh, the, the passage in Second Peter where it says, God moved, or, or men, uh, prophets of old, moved by the Holy Spirit, men spoke from, uh, spoke from God. And that's a reference to the fact that the Holy Spirit was working within an individual to write down what we now know as the Old Testament. And uh, it is understood that that statement then applies also to the New Testament. So what this means is that people who were chosen by God 
um, were led then by the Holy Spirit to record whatever it was that was in front of them, and that became Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in the message that we are to receive. This is important. It's very key, especially for later. So what we have to understand is that what we know about God was revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit helped these people write the Bible. And so that's what we really know about God. And so that is very beneficial to us. And so there is there the first really key important thing the Holy Spirit does is he has inspired or, or led people to write the Word of God. Now, the Holy Spirit has a tremendous ministry to people. It is both lost people and it is saved people. Um, for basically both kinds of folks, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Um, we might call it a conscience, we might call it a sense of right and wrong, we might call it morality, um, but there is, there is something that has been built into humanity from the very beginning that tells us what is right and what is wrong. Yes, there are some things that are a little bit gray, there are some things that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, and we may not know what's right and wrong, but the big things we know, we know, and, and people have gotten so smart nowadays that they're just plain stupid because you can go up to somebody nowadays that's like college educated and you can say, okay, so in America, is it wrong to take a baseball bat and beat a child upside the head? And everybody will say, yeah, that's wrong. That's not a thing we're allowed to do. Well, then you say, well, is, is it wrong um, in, you know, let's just say there's a, there's a country in um, South America, somewhere around the Amazon, where it's their culture that once a year they take one child and they beat it upside the head with a baseball bat, and that's part of their religion, that's part of their worship. Would it be wrong for them? Now, you take us normal folks, and we would say, yes, it's still wrong. It's always wrong to hit a child upside the head with a baseball bat, but... You take these college-educated folks that have been educated in postmodernism. You take these people that have been told that there's no absolute truth, that, that all morality and all things that we would consider to be things of conscience are only socially uh, social constructs. And then you ask them that question, they'll say, well, it may not necessarily be wrong for them because it's part of their culture. Well, you can take a whole lot of things and make them part of your culture, and it's still just as wrong as it could possibly be. You know, you take, for example, what if I'd been raised up in a group of gypsies and we stole everything? Like, we, every time we had an opportunity, we stole something from people, but that's part of my culture. Do you think the U.S. government would care when, when they arrested me and they said, hey, you know, you're, 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 you're guilty of grand theft auto and... What's larceny? Is that stealing? Some kind of stealing? Yeah. So you're guilty of that too. So all those kinds of things. And, and, and then, you know, and then I say, but it's part of my culture, so it's okay. You know, it's just part of what I do. No, the U.S. government isn't going to care. The reality is everybody in the world, whether we want to admit it or not, we know that stealing is wrong. We know that killing is wrong. We know there are some basic things that are always wrong, and we know some things that are pretty much always right that we should be doing. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It helps us to understand what sin is. Now, for the person that is lost, it is pretty simplistic in what the Holy Spirit does, showing them you know, right from wrong and helping them to understand that they're in sin. For the Christian, it continues to increase as you go. So if when you got saved, the Holy Spirit immediately showed you everything that's wrong with you, I don't think you'd ever get up off the floor again. I just don't believe it would because as we grow... God continues to show us more and more things that we need to work on in our lives, things that need to be gotten rid of. And so when you're, when you're first saved, you know, the Lord's going to show you, hey, stop doing this and stop doing that. And you're going to work on those things and you're going to realize, oh, that's wrong and that's bad and the Holy Spirit has shown me that. But as you get, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, it, 
he's going to be showing you attitudes. He's going to be showing you little thoughts that you let dwell and, and stick in there for too long. He's going to be showing you and sometimes revealing something that, that is pretty plain and obvious. And you would definitely say it was sin if it was brought out. But you just had a blind spot in your, in your heart and in your mind and in your conscience. You had a blind spot to this thing. And, and then it just all of a sudden happens. Let's say there's a grudge that you've held against somebody for years and years and years. And you really couldn't see that. You couldn't see that it was a grudge. But every time that special person's name was mentioned, you had sort of a feeling about yourself when, when that happened. Well, those things, the Holy Spirit reveals them when it's time. So it works kind of differently depending on how close to the Lord someone is, how, how far along that road they actually are. The Spirit also calls unbelievers. Now, the Bible's pretty clear about this. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless I call them. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, bringing people to God. And so, like, for example, this thing that we're going to do Saturday. Um, we can go out there, and if we was able to stop everybody that's walking around that lap, we could stop every one of them and tell them the gospel. And you know, the reality is not a single one of them is going to get saved unless the Holy Spirit is drawing them to Jesus. That's the way that God has designed it. So what that does, one thing, is it definitely keeps us from being too arrogant. I have heard people say, and, and I know what they mean, but I've heard people say, well, well, I saved a soul tonight. No, you didn't. You didn't do that. Um, now, you might have had a part in it. God may have used you to share the message, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. God has spoken through donkeys before, so it's not like it's something really special that you can talk. And as a matter of fact, most people, we got, what, 7 billion people on the earth right now? Most of them can talk. They may not speak the language you speak, but they can all talk. So you, you didn't really, really just move human civilization forward by speaking. But what you did was you were obedient to God, and then the Holy Spirit was doing his part. And so that's when we have an opportunity to talk to somebody. That's what we're praying for, is that God has been working to soften that heart and prepare that person. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to God. And so then he strategically puts you in a place to have a conversation or just leave an example or just be a friend for somebody. And that might be what brings them into Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand that that is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's part of what he does. Now, the next thing the Holy Spirit does is he brings regeneration into a person's life. If you recall a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was confused by this. What does this mean? How can a man you know, enter his mother's womb again and be reborn? And Jesus was talking about it in a spiritual sense, and the Holy Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit renews us. Now, later in the New Testament, they talk about you know, when, when a person is in Christ, he has a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is another description of regeneration. And what it means is that God has renewed everything about our spirit and our soul, almost like he's rewired it so that before it was natural and it was normal for us to be self-serving. It was natural and normal for us to, to do anything we could get away with and not do anything that we didn't have to do. But God is rewiring us and, and, and helping us then to where we know that at first, we have to think about other people. At first, we have to do what we're supposed to do, whether anybody's watching or not. We have to focus on the works of God, not our own works. And so this is all part of regeneration. It's part of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So it, the, the Holy Spirit also indwells us. The best and most vivid example of that is in the book of Acts, and it helps us to understand what, what the difference actually is. And so 
you had in the book of Acts at the very beginning, you know, um, it also records Jesus' ascension into heaven, and so his disciples are standing around kind of looking at that. Um, the, the angel comes down and says, Jesus is coming back. Just wait for him in Jerusalem. This is what you've been told. And so basically, if you'll remember, Jesus was crucified on Passover. Well, if you know your, you know, Israel history, um, Passover was followed 50 days later by a day called Pentecost. And that is a celebration of the giving of the law. See, 50 days after the Exodus, God gave the people the law. Well, 50 days after Jesus was crucified, instead of a law that was written on tablets, God gave people the Holy Spirit to indwell them. And so the small group of people that were still followers of Jesus were praying, they say the upper room, um, they were praying in this upper room and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came in. Um, and at that time, now it isn't like this now when people are saved, but at that time I think they needed these signs. And so it sounded like a, a rushing wind. And so the Holy Spirit came in, he indwelled these people and it said that there were tongues of fire on their heads. And so they knew that God had did something amazing. None of those things were natural for just rushing wind to start coming in, nor was it natural for people to walk around with what looked like a candle on their head. None of that was normal or natural. And so what happens is they go out into the streets and they begin to preach. Well, Pentecost is another Jewish holiday. It was a day that a lot of people would be in from out of town. And so people are in from out of town and all these guys come out on the street and they start preaching. But the difference is instead of all of them preaching in Aramaic or Hebrew, which might have been normal, or even Koine Greek, which could have also been normal, they were preaching in whatever was the common language of the people. So, so you might be standing there and you may be from Ethiopia and you hear that sermon spoken in your language. Or you may be standing here and you may be from Rome and you may hear the same message being spoken in, in, in Italian. Whatever you know, country of origin you had, that's what the Bible says. They were speaking in all these different languages. That doesn't necessarily mean that they were speaking in tongues in the way that, that people talk about it in, in churches nowadays. But the people that were, that were speaking, even those that were watching said, hey, these are unlearned men. These are not studied men. These are not people that know all these languages. They're just speaking them somehow. And so it was an evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so what we have to recognize is that the same Spirit that, were, that was in the, the, the disciples the first, first day of the church, if you want to call it the official birth of the church, which I think that's fair to say, then though that same Spirit is in us today. In those days, in those early days, people needed signs. We have the benefit of history and Scripture. Let me put that... We have the benefit of Scripture and history. We have seen the evidence in the work of God and the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of the New Testament and throughout his, through the history of the church. We know that God is there. We don't need a sign to tell us that God is there. We know He's there. We know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. So here's a key to our lives as Christians. We have the same Spirit in us that the disciples did. The Bible even says we have the same spirit that Jesus had. So the very same spirit. When Jesus says, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave another of the same kind. He says, I'm going to leave a comforter. And, and, and that word, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to leave another one just like me. I'm going to send him down. Now, instead of you know, Jesus walking around, which would be really, really cool for us to have Jesus walking around, we could go say, hey, Jesus, I don't know what to do about this. Will you tell me what to do? We have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was in Jesus. We have that Holy Spirit inside of us. And so sometimes it doesn't feel like we're empowered. And sometimes we don't think that we can walk up to somebody and ask a question. 
but God has given us the, the, the Spirit dwelling inside of us. He has given us the, the practice of prayer. We can ask God exactly what to do, how to do these things, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that's an important thing that we just have to remember. Um, the Holy Spirit seals believers. This is an important thing here. And the imagery, first century imagery, is, is very important. So if there was an important document that needed to be sent from one you know, state representative to another, what would happen is that, that whatever was, was written would be on a parchment or on some kind of, you know, whatever they might have had, they would roll it up and they would seal it with wax. And, and so they would, they would melt wax, and then they would have like an insignia ring or a stamp or something that identified their authority. So, for example, if it was the Caesar and he was sending some information, then that wax seal would say, this is sealed by the Caesar, okay? So if, if you weren't the one that was told to open that, then it would actually be treason to open that, for anybody else to open it. So that's what we have to understand is that when we are sealed, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So that wax seal that you might would seal in an important document in the first century, there is a seal on us. The Bible talks about that, and that is from the Holy Spirit. It is to tell everyone else, this belongs to God. This belongs to God. And so you can't see it, and I can't see it, but in the spiritual world it can be seen, and in the spiritual world it is known that we belong to God. And so it's an important part, and it is also part of our guarantee that we will be saved. Let's keep going. So the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth. So we know through inspiration that, that God worked with individuals and they wrote Scripture. How are we supposed to understand things that were written thousands of years ago? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Now, there are some great, great things out there. Y'all know that I like books. I like to have as many books as possible, and they are helpful at times in understanding what the Bible is saying. Uh, I went to college. I went to the University of Mobile, and they taught me some things. I've been going to church pretty much all my life, and I've learned a lot of things from church. But here's the thing that we have to remember. When you're dealing with something and you don't understand it in Scripture, the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries to you is to illuminate that. What illumination means is he's lighting it up. He is shedding light on something that for you is dark. Have you ever read a Bible passage and you were like, I have no idea what that's talking about. I still do that. Sometimes I read a Bible passage and I'm like, just don't know what's going on here. Well, that is the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. So you can go get books and you can go get other study materials and you can get some other people's opinion on it. But the Holy Spirit is going to help you understand that. That is part of his ministry. It is his job to help you understand scripture. He's going to reveal that truth to you. This also kind of works. It, it, it seems to indicate that it helps us understand truth in general. Um, so just sort of a, 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 a barometer for what is true and what is false. Um, but definitely when it comes to Scripture, he helps us understand what the Word of God is saying. So there's a lot of times where we have some difficulty because there's, there's, cultural, there's a cultural gap. We are not Easterners, and we don't think like Easterners, and that's a very important thing. Logic works a certain way in the West, and it works differently in the East. You build an argument one way in the East, and you build an argument a completely different way in the West. And so the way that we think and the way that the people that you know, record the Bible think is different. So sometimes it really helps us to understand that, especially when you read like the Psalms and you read the, the poetry and you think, hmm, I, I see kind of what they're saying, but it doesn't make sense. They should have said it you know, kind of crossways or kind of different. 
Well, that's the difference in the way of thinking. Uh, so we have that cultural gap, but we also have a historical gap. Um, some of the newest things in the Bible are still 2,000 years old, and so we have to recognize that a lot of waters went under the bridge since these things were written, and so there's things that we need to know to fill in the gaps, and, and, and there's a lot of issues like that. There's another thing that we have to deal with, and that's a linguistic gap. Not a single page of the scriptures was written in English when it was original. None of it was. And so you've got translation and you've got you know, transmission down through the generations. There's a lot of things. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of his ministries is to help us understand scripture. He illuminates scripture and he teaches us. He teaches us the things that are in scripture. And he also teaches us things that maybe scripture doesn't cover. So can you find in the Bible where it says thou shalt not have an abortion? Can't find those words, can you? But what the Holy Spirit helps us to do is say, oh, we see a passage that says thou shalt not murder, and we understand abortion taking life. And so somebody says, well, you know, a baby that's in the womb is not really, you know, a human being yet. And then you find other scriptures that says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb before I was born, you knew me. We see that when God worked in the life of Mary to, to help conceive Jesus, from that moment, that was the Savior. In fact, there's a moment, what's really, really interesting, when Mary goes and meets Martha, uh, Martha is going to be the mother of John the Baptist. She's further along than Mary, Elizabeth. Yeah, I was getting another story. Elizabeth, and, and when, 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 she, when Mary and Elizabeth meet, the baby inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy because that human being knew that that was the Messiah there. And so that's important that we recognize that the Bible does give us enough information. The Holy Spirit helps us draw those connections so that we understand that God has been making it plain for years that conception is the moment of life. And life is precious to God because God gives life. Not mankind, God gives life. Man doesn't get to decide when it starts. Man shouldn't be allowed to, to decide when it ends, except in cases of crime when God has made that abundantly clear. So we have to recognize that that teaching is from the Bible. And so there are several other examples of that, but the Holy Spirit helps us to understand these things and learn these things. Another thing that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does is he intercedes for believers. We just covered this in Romans where it says that there are times where, you know, we don't even know what to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. What we recognize is that even in those deepest, darkest places that we can go in life, when we don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit is there praying for us, saying things and, 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 and interceding for us in ways that we can't even verbalize. And so that is another ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and certainly something that he is doing for us. Okay, so on page 56, we actually have a group of true-false questions. The key's at the bottom, so uh, maybe don't cheat. Um, but it says, number one, the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. What would you say right off the beat? Yeah, false, right. The Holy Spirit overrode the personalities of the writers of Scripture. False. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. True. The Holy Spirit indwells believers from the moment of salvation. True. The Holy Spirit baptizes believers into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. True. The baptism of the Spirit is an experience that comes to some believers after conversion. False. The Holy Spirit seals believers for the day of redemption. True. Okay, so... This isn't even part of the lesson, but it's just something I feel like I've got to say, and I, need, I feel like I need to say it pretty often. There are no super believers. 
there is no hierarchy among Christians. We all are sinners saved by grace. No Christian has a higher standing or, or is more significant or more important than you. And that's something that we, I think, need to remind ourselves because more than I think any other time in history, there are Christians that are elevated. You know, you have these celebrity pastors and, you know, these mega churches and people lift up, you know, whether it be Christian music singers or, or speakers or writers or things like that. And I'll tell you, kind of the, the back end of that, when, when I got to work some of these Christian, uh, like the, the Christian conferences and, and I was uh, working at a, at a bookstore uh, in there and some of these people would walk by and you would see people that are pastors, that are shepherds of people just go all fanboy over some guy that wrote a book that they like. I mean, it's, to me, it's actually ridiculous. That's not a rock star. That's, that's, that should be a, a, a servant of God and nothing else. You can walk up to them, shake their hand. You can ask them questions. You can let them know you enjoyed their book or you enjoyed their sermon or you enjoyed their song. But they are not supposed to be something that you worship. And I'm sorry, but when you say, oh my God, there's John Piper, and, and, and you know, fix your hair and run over there and go talk to him. The man don't even have any hair. Like, he doesn't care what your hair looks like. So when that happens, you know that there's something crossed up. There is no Christian that is greater than another Christian. We are all even. We're all equal. Jesus saved us all the same. He died for us all. He paid the same price for us all. We are all the same. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do in the church? There are several things that the Holy Spirit does that's very important. One is the Holy Spirit builds unity. Unity apart from the Holy Spirit is never good. And the reason is unity apart from the Holy Spirit involves compromise, right? So compromise is good in a lot of things. Compromise is good in a family. Compromise is good in a country. Compromise is good, you know, when it comes in between countries and all kinds of times where compromise might be good, but it is not good in church. And the reason is God has a will. God has a plan. His word is very specific and very precise. And so how are we to determine that? Well, the pastor gets to say because he's better than everybody else. No, not at all. We have to submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit. So this idea builds on an idea that we'll find later in the Baptist faith and message. Baptists believe in the, or the call it, but democracy. We believe that, that, that there is a that every believer is a priest. The Bible says that. We believe that every believer is a priest, and so the Holy Spirit is working in me, He's working in you, He's working in each of us. And so when we make a decision, we don't make a decision with, you know, just one person saying, I think this is the way that it ought to be, and everybody else is kind of like, you know, cowed down. They don't say, no, we vote on things. Because, you know, maybe, maybe one person presents the idea, but it has to be something that we all agree with. And we believe that the Holy Spirit will lead in that vote. That's what we believe. And so that's the way that we, that we believe. We believe that the Holy Spirit will bring unity. And so what that means is that when the church as a whole agrees on something, that's real unity. Let me tell you a time that that worked, and it worked to perfection, and it's, and it's an absolute miracle. So the New Testament... It's composed of 27 books, and they were written over a span of not 100 years, but at least 60 years. Um, that's kind of a conservative estimate. Well, during that same time, there were a lot of other things that were going on. So when we're studying Romans right now, that was a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people. Did he know he was writing scripture at the time? Some say yes, some say no, but, but it was a letter. And think, for example, let's really get one, Philemon. 
Philemon is a is, is it's one chapter, and it's a letter that Paul sent by an, a runaway slave back to his master. But it's scripture now. So there were a lot of missives and communications and just biographies that were written and, and history that was written and, and, and whatever revelation is that was written. You have all those things, but there was other things that were written during that time. There were other things that were seen as important to the church. There were people right after the apostles that continued to write, and what they said was good things. How did the church decide on the 27 books that are in Scripture? In a unified voice. That's how they decided. And look, you don't see churches 100% agree on a lot of things. You know, there, there's, there's conversations um, that I will be glad if I go to my grave and I never hear the conversation. What color should the carpet be in the church? I'd rather go my whole life. I'm not saying I want to die before we have that conversation. I'm just saying I just want to live my whole life and never have to talk about that again. Pray for this carpet that it lasts until I'm, you know, 95 years old and go to be with the Lord. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And why am I trying to make that? Because I know that, that we don't always all agree on that. And sometimes, you know, those conversations can get intense. But you've got 27 books, and then there were other things that were written. And the church agreed on that. No book could come into the canon of Scripture unless it was universally accepted as Scripture. You just don't get universal agreement on anything. Not with a whole bunch of people that all kind of have different interests and things like that. You, you think, for example, now we're talking about people like the Corinthian church. So you take the Romans said, hey, we got a letter from Paul. We think this should be in the Bible. And the Corinthians like, oh, we've got four letters from Paul we think should be in the Bible. Only two actually made it. So what we have to understand is that there's a lot going on and only the Holy Spirit was in control of that. The Holy Spirit brings real, true, good harmony and unity to the church. That's something that we have to recognize that, that he is doing that. The Holy Spirit provides or bestows spiritual gifts on people. This is something that's worth its own independent study. We're, this is not really the, the, the purpose of, of, of this particular study to go into spiritual gifts. But what I will say is that, kind of like what Paul said, we're not all hands we're not all ears. We're not all eyes. The Holy Spirit has uniquely gifted us so that if we work together, if we work using the gifts that he's given us, the talents that he's built into us, and we use maybe some of the skills we've developed in, in you know, our lives outside of the church, then we are able to function. You know, one of the things that um, is, is difficult sometimes for a church to accept is that sometimes... There's not somebody to do that, meaning God may not want us to do that at that time. That doesn't mean never do that. That just means not at that time. Sometimes the person that can do that just isn't speaking up. But many times what God is doing is, is helping us to understand, this is how I want you to minister. I've given you this person with this gift. I've given you this person with this gift. I've given you this person with this gift. So here's your ministry right here. God's doing that. God is directing those things. So when you think about, you've got people that can sing. You've got people that can organize. You've got people that can talk. A lot of us can talk. And somebody's going to talk more than everybody else, and then that's the preacher. But anyway, the point is, what God is doing is building a body in the church. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's gifting us in that way. Can you have more than one spiritual gift? Yes. Um, I'm not going to get into more than that, but, but what I will say is that in, in, in practice, a lot of times people do express multiple spiritual gifts, but when we find those, that is a, that is a work of God. 
and it's a pretty clear you know, indication that that's what we need to be doing. If God has gifted you to do something, especially something that's in the list of spiritual gifts in the Bible, then you probably should be doing that. I mean, that, that God usually leads us to do what he has gifted us to do. It's kind of pointless to give us something and not use it. So would you go out and buy a boat and park it and never use it? Most people actually do that a lot more than they would like to admit, right? Um, and, and if you're listening to the sermon Sunday, I bought an axe, and I just hate to hit wood with it because it's so pretty right now. I don't want to mess it up. So sometimes we do that kind of thing, but the reality is if God gives us a gift, we're supposed to use that gift. And so, anyway, there's much, much more that could be said about the Holy Spirit, but that's, um, that's what I had intended to say. Um, again, we could spend more time talking about the spiritual gifts, but that's a different study and one I think we should get to, you know, reasonably soon. But does anyone have any questions about the Holy Spirit or anything about what I've said that you have questions or comments about? So it's not a spooky thing. Um, in fact, the word spirit in the New Testament, in, in, in Greek, is pneumatos. You think pneumonia. No, it's breath, right? And that's where we get that. So it's breath. Now, the, the King James um, and some others translated it ghost. Um, and, and I've heard people say, well, I really would prefer to call it the Holy Ghost. Um, that's, there's a word for ghost and, and that's not it. Uh, pneumatos is not the word for ghost. That pneumatos is the word for spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is not a ghost, like a phantom of what once was. The Holy Spirit is God's will and force put into a person and used for, for his purposes. And so that's what we have to understand. Um, the Holy Spirit is not some phantom of what was. He's not a phantom of Jesus that's kind of sticking around with us. That's different. And so what we have is the Spirit of God dwelling in us, empowering us to do things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise, teaching us to understand things we wouldn't be able to understand otherwise, and gifting us to serve in ways that we, let's be honest, probably don't want to serve. But God is going to enable us to do those things, and then he's going to give us the push so that we can keep on going. He's also going to unify our church. He, he does so much for us at the moment of salvation, but that ministry continues always in, in perpetuity. And so we have to recognize that that, that, that is what keeps us with God. And it, he, is our, he is the guarantee. God put his spirit in you. That means he is going to finish his work in you. Um, he is not going to give up and cast you off because he has made you his home. All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to gather together here for a few minutes. And I thank you for your spirit. We know in part what the spirit does in our lives. The things that we've listed here are probably only scratch the surface of what you do. Um, and we recognize that Without the Holy Spirit, we would not have power. We would not really have any reason to believe that we could be successful in our ministry. We would probably not understand Scripture, and we certainly wouldn't be able to go out and serve you the way that we should. But you saw that deficiency in us. You knew that we weren't going to be able on our own, and you gave your Spirit and I praise you for that. I praise you for making us in such a way that we could receive the Spirit into our lives. I thank you for seeing that we were going to need spiritual gifts and we were going to need illumination. We were going to need all of those things and you met those needs even before we did. 
Lord, I know when I was lost and, and not seeking you, I didn't think I needed a spiritual gift. I didn't think I needed to be indwelled. I didn't think I needed any of these things. But you knew I would, and you were already prepared. And Lord, I know as we look at our lives now, we are facing some problems. Remind us that every problem we've ever faced, you have already prepared a solution for it. Just like when we needed the Holy Spirit before we knew it, He was prepared, He was ready. Whatever it is we're facing now, you are prepared, you're ready, even if we're not. So give us that confidence. Help us to have hope. Help us to remain faithful no matter what the circumstances are because you have always been faithful to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.